God's word is alive and working. It is sharper than a sword sharpened on both sides. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined. It cuts to the center of our joints and our bones. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. The living, breathing word cuts into us. The word of God is filled with life and love and grace and mercy, that good news word that breathes into us life and hope and peace. But sometimes, sometimes God's word cuts into us in the way that words cut like swords. Most of the time for me, it feels like God's promises of grace and love, but more often than I'd like, the word cuts deep. Our reading from Hebrews lays it out well, that God's word judges the thoughts and feelings in our hearts, because when we read it, when we hear it, we find ourselves judging, judging our hearts, our thoughts, our actions, wondering if we're doing enough, if we're being the people God is calling us to be, if we're worthy of the life and hope and peace that God offers us. And sometimes that sword, that word, leaves us feeling sad, feeling unworthy, or feeling like we can't possibly be good enough. I feel bad for the rich man in our reading from Mark. I feel bad for him because he comes to Jesus asking the kinds of questions we all ask. What must I do? What must I do to be loved? What must I do to be worthy? What must I do to find purpose, to find hope, to find life? And in the verses we didn't hear in our reading today, Jesus tells him what the man already knows. Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. He lists all 10 and the rich man does know. The rich man shares that he has mastered the 10 commandments. He's done it all, everything he's supposed to do. And still he wonders, what must I do? And so Jesus looks straight at the man and loves him. Jesus says, well, There's one more thing. Go and sell everything you have and give the money to the poor. Come and follow me. Give up all your possessions, all your money, all the stability and control you have in your life. Jesus says to the man, give up your identity as the rich man and find a new identity, a new self, a new life. And the rich man was very sad because Jesus's words cut deep right to where the soul and the spirit are joined, right to the man's joints and his bones, because even though he lived his life following God's word, this word was one he didn't think he could follow. With this word, the man found himself judging his life and the life he could have, and he left. Then Jesus looked at his followers and said, how hard it will be for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of God, And Jesus' followers, his disciples, many of whom left their professions, their homes, their families in order to follow Jesus, are amazed. They're shocked because Jesus' words cut them deep as well. What is it exactly that they're doing? Turning away someone who follows the scripture so well, an upstanding citizen, someone who probably does still give alms to the poor and observes all the right laws and holidays, so he's rich. In ancient Israel, to be rich meant that that was a sign of God's blessing. It wasn't like he was a tax collector or a Samaritan. How is this movement, this ministry, going to get anywhere if no one can follow? Where's the grace, Jesus? Where's the mercy? Where's the kingdom for this man, for so many people who would find it impossible to give up everything? 
If this guy is unable to follow, if this guy can't be saved, the disciples say to each other, then who can? Then who can be saved? I don't know about you, but these words from Jesus, this living, working word of God, cuts me pretty deep. If Jesus were to appear to me in the flesh right now, if he were to say to me, give it all up, not just the stuff or the money or the security or the control, but everything, home, relationships, future plans, everything, all of that helps to define who we are. We don't even know the name of the man who falls on his knees before Jesus. We only know him as the rich man. To go and sell everything you have to come and follow in that way would be giving up more than just things, people, or control. It's like giving up identity. I'd be a pastor without a church, a reader without books, a gamer without games, a writer without a pen, a bookkeeper without spreadsheets, a daughter, a mother, a wife without my family, a friend without the people who know me best. Who would I be? If Jesus were to say to me right now, give it all up, I, I want to think that I would say, of course. I want to think that I would step up and step out and follow wherever Jesus might lead. I really hope I would. But I'm going to be honest, even imagining it, Jesus' words, his request, feels impossible. God's word is alive and working. It is sharper than a sword sharpened on both sides. It cuts deep all the way into us. And I feel that hope in myself and that impossibility in myself. And I can't help but judge myself wanting at those words. But just as our reading from Hebrews tells us that the word is sharp, it also reminds us that the word is living. The Gospel of John tells us that the word of God became flesh, became human, became the living, breathing Jesus. And this Jesus, this son of God, came to this earth and lived among us, lived with us, and fully understands our weaknesses, fully knows our identities, fully knows our temptations. Jesus knows us, sees us, and just like the man who fell on his knees before Jesus, Jesus doesn't look down to his feet in judgment. Verse 21 of our Mark reading tells us that Jesus looked straight at the man and loved him. I I wonder if Jesus knew that for this man, that this man's things, his wealth, his richness still left him hearing God's word in the Hebrew Bible and wondered how he could be worthy. I think Jesus knew that this man who lived this life following God's word, who was an upstanding citizen, who probably gave his alms and observed all the right things, who was blessed with riches, was still wondering if he was good enough. Jesus saw him, knew him, loved him, and heard his question, what must I do? As the same questions we all ask, what must I do? What must I do to be loved? What must I do to be worthy? What must I do to find purpose, to find hope, to find life? And Jesus tells him the one thing he has left to do. To trust that his identity is more than the rich man, is more than following the commandments, is more than his security, his control, his wealth. 
It's the identity that might feel impossible for any of us who have found ourselves feeling sad or feeling unworthy or feeling like we can't possibly be good enough. Loved. The identity of someone who is loved, the loved man, the loved woman, the loved person, beautifully and wonderfully made by the creator of the universe, child of God. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, comes to this world to declare to the world, to each and every one of us, that you are loved, you are forgiven, you are a beloved child of God, and you can't do anything to make that happen. You can't do anything to make that happen. On our own, we will always find ourselves asking, what must I do? There will always be one more thing holding us back, one more thing to give up, one more thing to let go. For people, this is impossible. For people, this is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. For God, saving the world doesn't look like a sword, but it's a word. It's the word. It's Jesus. Jesus knows us, looks at us, and loves us, and goes to the cross for all the times we choose ourselves over God's calling to us, for all our failures, for all our own judgments, for all the words that cut us deep. Jesus dies on that cross to promise us this grace, this love, this new identity as children of God. For God, all things are possible. Jesus rises from the dead to promise this hope, this new life in him, the life that never ends in Jesus. From Hebrews, let us then feel free to come before God's throne. Here, there is grace. We can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it so that when we find ourselves living out of fear or judgment, Christ's mercy and grace free us to live in this new life in Jesus, a life not asking, what must I do, but instead, what can I do? So that we can ask God free and confident in the grace we have been given, what can I do? What promises can I make? What gifts can I bring? What hope and love and mercy can I share in this world? And when we don't know, when we forget, when we get worried, when the security and control and sense of self stresses us out, we can hear Jesus' words of hope in the face of the impossible. We can remember God's promise of love to call us God's children, and we can feel free to fall on our knees before Jesus and know here we will be loved, here we will be saved, here there is grace. Amen.